The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. This morning, I want us to go back to the 14th chapter of the book of Mark. As we continue in our series on the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to begin reading in verse 27. But as you turn there, let me just remind you where we are. Jesus' arrest is, is imminent. He has uh, already instituted the first New Testament church service in the, in, the, in the institution of the Lord's Supper. See, that was something new. That was something different. Everything up to that point, he had just been fulfilling the law to a jot and to a tittle. But at the end of the Passover, and it truly was the end of the Passover, the last Passover meal that God recognized as legitimate was that meal that he ate with the disciples. And then at the end of that, he instituted this new communion service that we still engage in today. And we just talked about that the last time we were here. And now as his arrest is imminent, he's preparing his disciples for the event. And he's actually been doing that for some time and they still don't, they, they didn't get it then and they still don't get it, but they will. <laughs> they will. In verse 27, Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. And, and the, the, verse 27 is a quote from Zechariah, the 13th chapter. And it is, uh, it is a truism that still applies today. Notice he says, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Now, that literally applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a Zechariah prophesying about the Lord coming and what was going to happen. But it still is true in a lesser sense in our church today. Um, I know a lot of churches, Brother Buddy knows what I'm talking about. I know a lot of churches that don't have pastors. Now, look, y'all, <laughs> I'm your pastor. I'm your, as, as the bishop, I'm actually the bishop. <laughs> Do you know that? Do you know I'm a bishop? We don't call it, I'm not gonna ask you to start calling me that though, Brother Mackey, people might misunderstand. But that's the, that is one term that's used for the pastor of the church is bishop. And that means the under shepherd. It's, 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 it's as, as if we understand, and I hope you understand that Jesus is the, the great shepherd of the sheep, but he places under shepherds in, in his churches as it pleases him. And, and so as, as feeble as I may be as an under shepherd, I am nonetheless... Uh, uh, if indeed it's true, and I believe it is, that the Lord has called me into the ministry and has called me here to this church, then it's my job to lead you. And, and I know I fall so short in so many ways, but, but it's my job. It was, it, it's, it's Brother Tim's job at Bethlehem. It's whatever pastor of whatever church it is out there, it's their job to lead as a shepherd would lead his sheep. Now, I don't want to get too far off into this, but I just want you to understand that there's some principles that apply there. And, and one of the principles is that if you're going to lead God's flock, if you're going to lead the, the, the sheep as an under-shepherd, you need to love the sheep. 
You need to love the sheep. I've known some preachers that don't, they don't act like they love the sheep. They don't act like they care. They either, in, 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 in a couple of different ways, there's two different ways you can demonstrate you don't care about the sheep if you're a pastor. One is, is if you're harsh and you're browbeating and you're constantly being a tyrant to them. That means you love the job, but you don't love the sheep. Okay? The other way, you know there's a ditch on both sides of the road? The other way is if you don't ever shepherd them, <laughs> you don't ever, you know, you say, well, I don't like a preacher meddling in my business. Well, you don't need a preacher then. Because <laughs> if a preacher's doing his job, he's going to be meddling in your business, okay? <laughs> um, but seriously, if, if, if you ever have a minister, a pastor who never questions you, never comes to you, you know, you know, one of my jobs, and I take it very seriously, is to be what's called the watchman on the wall. The watchman on the wall. Now, that's actually a, it can be a very fulfilling job, and it can be a very uh, sad job, okay? We won't turn there, but over in Ezekiel, he talks about that. And the watch, you know what the watchman on the wall does? He stands guard over the people of God. And when he sees the enemy coming, he cries out the warning. Now, <clears throat> he cries out the warning to the people of God, but unlike the tyrant, unlike someone who thinks that they can make the children of God do right, the watchman on the wall can't make God's people do or heed the warning and do what they ought to. He can only cry out the warning. And I've, let me tell you, I've been, in, I've been in the position of being the watchman on the wall many, many times in my, in my life, but especially in my life as a minister. And there have been some precious times when I have gone to someone who I saw was straying or was, I saw the enemy coming and I said, I said, you better watch out. This is what I see coming. Now, the enemy can be out there or it can be in here. <laughs> it can be both places. I can, I've cried out the warning, and, and, and it is so sweet and so precious when the one to whom the warning is, is pointed out to says, you know what, dear brother, I appreciate you telling me this. I appreciate the word of warning, the word of advice. And, and, and they heed that warning, and they, and they avoid the disaster of the enemy. And I've also been in the position where I've called out the warning, and I've tried. And, 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 and let me just let you in on a little secret about a, about a, a preacher. Um, I don't know any—I know situations where if I sit back and objectively look at it, I did everything I could do, I believe, in order to— to, to help someone avoid disaster. And they didn't listen, and guess what? Disaster came anyway. But let me let you in on a little secret. No pastor worth his salt ever feels like they did enough. No, no preacher. I can remember one particular situation that, that's well known among all of us here, where that when, when, when the warning, I, I, I tried, I called out the warning, I was driving in my car, as the, as, as the disaster became fully manifest to that, to that person that I'd been ministering to. And, and I was getting text messages about the outcome of a particular situation. And I had to pull over on the side of the road because I couldn't see to drive because I knew what was coming. I saw it coming. 
I warned them about it coming. They didn't listen, and it came anyway. And you know what? Another little secret is no pastor worth his salt is glad when that happens. All I could think about that particular day was Abraham standing on the place where he had been with the Lord and looking down in the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah and seeing the smoke rise like a furnace, knowing that his nephew that he had tried to save from that disaster was still down there somewhere in amongst that. I can't believe Abraham was rejoicing. I believe he was weeping. I believe he was hurting over that. Well, I didn't mean to preach on that this morning. That has nothing to do with what I want to preach about. But let me just say to you, I love you. And this idea of a sheep with a shepherd still applies today. And, and what I started down this road to tell you is there are a lot of churches out there that don't have pastors. And a church without a pastor is in a particularly dangerous situation, a particularly precarious position because, uh, and, and that's one reason that it's so important that you as members be grounded in the Word of God and in the, the, the truth of God's Word, both in the doctrine and in the practice, so that you will be able to see. It's so, that's why it's so important for you as, as the congregation to be spiritually uh, connected to the Lord in the sense of being spiritual in your walk, being close to the Lord as you can because you never know when you're going to be called upon to make a spiritual. You know, did you know that, biz, that, that we call it a business meeting, but we don't make business decisions in this church. We don't make business decisions. We make spiritual decisions that may Im implicate business, but, but it's our jobs to be, to be looking at this in a different way than the world does. So... Jesus said, all ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And then he says in verse 28, after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. So again, he's telling them what's going to happen, but obviously they did not believe it. And, and now in verse 29 down through verse 31, I want to get to the heart of what I want to preach to you about this morning. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, that's Peter speaking, Peter spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. What I really want to preach to you about this morning is Peter's pride. Peter's pride. There is a proverb in Proverbs 16 and verse 18. It says, Pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. And what we're seeing here is Peter, you know, I love Peter. <laughs> he, is, he is so, I, I get Peter. I get him, you know. Peter is so uh, uh, outspoken. He, he speaks when he ought to stay quiet. You know, I get that. <laughs> he, he, he's always jumping in there to do something and to try to fix things, seem like. He's always got something to say or something to do, and, and, and he thinks he knows. It's clear to me from just reading about Peter, he thinks he knows best. 
He still didn't believe Jesus when Jesus was telling him many things. Uh, there was one time when, when he was so adamant that the Lord not talk about dying that Jesus looked at him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Peter thought he, he thought he knew. And now let me just say to you about Peter. I don't believe that he's being insincere here. I believe he means every word that he says. So let's look at his promises. Look first at his promises, okay? Notice what he says. Verse 29, he says, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Essentially what Peter is saying is, I will stand stronger than anybody else. All these others may forsake you, but not me. Everybody else may leave you, Lord, but you can count on me. <laughs> you remember now, too, Jesus has just told him that all would be offended. Oh, no, not, Lord, I, I know you're the Son of God. I know you have all power. I know you're all wise. I know that you're all great in every way, but you just don't know what you're talking about here. <laughs> you see, I know me, and I'm going to stand with you. <laughs> now, you ever, you ever been there? <laughs> you say, no, I've never said that. Well, have you ever looked around and said, well, they may do this, but I won't do this. <laughs> there's, there's this idea. <laughs> if we really know ourselves, okay, if we really know ourselves, we will never make such a statement. The problem is we think we know ourselves. Peter chose here to boast. He thought he knew himself better than the Lord knew him. But you know, later on, his, his companion Paul, his fellow apostle Paul, will write in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2, If any man thinketh that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. Boy, Peter fits the bill right here. He thought he knew. But he doesn't know yet what he's going to know soon. Oh, my. <laughs> what it, you know, this isn't, this isn't the first time something like this has been said. If you turn back sometime to the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, you'll find the, the, the prophet Isaiah was, had already said, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That tells me something very important. That tells me that I'm not better than you, and, uh, and you're not better than me either, but uh, I'm not better than you, and in fact, there's no situation in this world that I can't get myself into if I'm not careful and I let myself go. <clears throat> but Peter says, no, no, Lord, not me. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm strong enough. I won't be offended. And then in verse 31, after Jesus says, okay, Peter, you've called it. I'm telling you, you're going to deny me not just once, not just twice, three times. <laughs> And I can just see the indignation rise up in Peter. And he says, oh, no way, Lord, no way. Listen, if I have to die with you, I will not ever forsake you. In other words, not only will I stand stronger than these folks here, I'll stand longer than them. I'll stay with you to the very end, Lord. You don't have to worry about me. I will be there. And like I said, I know Peter was sincere. You know, and maybe if they had come to him in that moment. Have you ever been there where you felt the power and might of the Holy Spirit just welling up within you? 
You felt the spirit and the strength of God himself within your, within your spirit, and you felt like, man, I'm ready to take on, I'm ready to, as they used to say, I'm ready to charge hell with a water pistol. <laughs> you ever been there? Feel like I could take the devil himself. I, could, I just feel so close to the Lord. I feel so caught up in the spirit. I've been in some of these meetings, brother buddy. I, I feel this way today. I feel strong in the spirit this morning. I feel like the Lord is with me. I feel like he's here. And if they came and knocked those doors down and came down with chains and shackles to drag me off, I'd say, take me to the, to the, to the chopping block. Go ahead and behead me for the cause of Christ. I feel that way right now. But you know, the minute I set my foot on the rocks out there in the parking lot, it didn't take long for that spirit just starts to dissipate, doesn't it? And suddenly, I don't feel quite as close to the Lord anymore. And you know, I heard, I heard Brother Mike Ivey say something one time that, that really resonated with me. He said, when I was a little boy, he said, I never set out purposely to do evil or to do bad. He said, I just forgot to do good. <laughs> Have you ever been there? <laughs> you know, I don't go out every morning. I don't get up every morning and say, how can I violate God's word today? <laughs> I mean, in fact, I pray in the mornings. I pray, Lord, help me not to. I, I, I pray in the mornings. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, here I am confessing again. You know, Brother Buddy and I have talked about this. You know, there was a time when, when, when cursing, ugly words were very easily left my lips, okay? Very easily. <clears throat> and, uh, and even to this day, when something unexpected happens, you know, I've told you dropping things, that's the hardest, that's the most aggravating thing in my whole life now. And I think it's just going to get worse, Brother Warren, I'm afraid. I can't hold anything. I took the top off of a, uh, off of a, sco or off a Listerine bottle the other day, and it, whoosh, there it goes. Not the bottle, but the top. And I was, you know, so, you know I, don't, I don't get up in the morning saying, Lord, help me to drop something so I can cuss. You know, I, I, I don't say that. I don't get up and say, Lord, please, please bring me into a situation where I can just get so angry and act a fool. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, that's not where I want to go in the morning. I want to, in the morning, I actually, sometimes I say, Lord, I am not going to do this today. Lord, I'm, you ever, you ever promise the Lord, Lord, I'm never going to do that again. Lord, I'm never, ever in my, Lord, I don't care. It doesn't matter what, I'll never, ever do that again. Or here's another one. Lord, in your prayers, have you ever done this? Lord, if you'll just deliver me, I'll quit whatever. I'll quit dipping, you know. I'll quit chewing tobacco. I'll quit whatever. I'll quit cussing. <laughs> I'll quit, you know, Lord, just, if you'll do that, I'll never, how long is it? If you've ever done that, I've done it. How long is it before you find yourself right back in the middle of whatever it is you've done? You know, what, was it because you set out to do it? Was it because you said, okay, Lord, I know I said that, but I'm going to show you. I'm going to No, you, it's just because you forgot to do right, right? And that's where, you, see, that's where I think Peter is. Peter is, Peter is promising the Lord what he sincerely believes in his heart. And, and, and maybe if they had come at that moment and taken him, he'd have volunteered to go. But, but let's look at his performance now. We've seen what he's promised. Let's see how he carries it out. Well, we're not going to go through 
the next few verses in detail because that's going to be the subject, Lord willing, of another message about the Garden of Gethsemane. But just understand that they came to Gethsemane and he, he, took, he took Peter and, and, and James and John and he took a few of them a little further and he said, you sit here while I pray. And, and you remember that sweet, precious message Brother David Crawford preached for us a few weeks ago about Gethsemane and the, the, the passion, the agony, all that was on Jesus. It says he went forward and he prayed. And, and then it says in verse 37, he, after he prayed, it says, He cometh and findeth them sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Couldn't you have just stayed awake for an hour? Now, Peter, remember, I'll go with you, Lord. I'll die with you, Lord. I I'm going to go as far as you go. You know, he just falls asleep. You ever been there? You know, I'm going to pray for you. Brother Mackey, I'm going to pray for, I'm going to pray for you tonight if I don't fall asleep. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. Tonight. I, I have a list that I try to pray for. I try to do it at nights, but I've learned to quit doing it at night, Brother Buddy, because I get about halfway through the list, and next thing I know, I've woke up the next morning, and I didn't get through the list. Isn't that terrible? I mean, I, he said, watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Now, that's the best description of Peter I know of, and of you and me. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, Peter, his... His pitiful performance here. He was sleeping when he should have been praying. He was sleeping when he should have been watching. He said, you watch and pray, but Peter was sleeping. He had already forgotten to do what he said he would do. And then he says, it says, as he, we begin to see in verse 43, that while Jesus yet spake unto them after Gethsemane, cometh G Judas... Uh, and he came out with a great multitude that had swords and staves, and, and he kissed him. You know that story? He kissed him, betrayed him with a kiss, and he went to Jesus there and betrayed him with that kiss, and they laid their hands on him. And then in verse 47 it says, One of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now let me stop before we go any further. We're going to see that that was Peter, but... But you got to think about what they were all expecting here. Maybe there were some among the disciples. See, they, they thought, like the Pharisees, that he was coming to bring a political kingdom into, into uh, fruition. He, they thought he was, so maybe they thought, hey, this is it. This is the day we've been waiting for. This is the time for armed insurrection. Let's throw off the Roman yoke. And it says here that one of them acted on that. They drew a sword and they smote off the servant of the high priest's ear. And we find out over in John, the 18th chapter, that that, that disciple that smote off the ear of the, uh, of the high priest's servant was none other than Peter himself. In John 18 and verse 10, it says, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. See, Peter was ready. Peter was, Peter was uh, sitting on go. All he, was, all he was waiting for was the word. He said, surely this is it. We're, no, Lord, you're not going to die. We're not. And Jesus has been telling him, that's why I came. 
That's why I came was to die. And even when he does this, Peter says, uh, Jesus says unto Peter, Put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? And you know the rest of the story, he healed the ear. He healed the ear. Jesus didn't come to smite off somebody's ear. He came to take on their sin and to lay down his life as a sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for sin. And if Peter had been listening all this time, he would have seen this coming and submitted. But he was fighting when he should have been following. And notice as we keep looking at Peter here, he was fleeing when he should have been faithful. He was fleeing when he should have been faithful. Look at verse 54 back in Mark 14. And Peter followed him afar off. Let me back up. Verse 50. Verse 50. We pick on, we pick on Peter. Okay, we pick on him. Because he's the one that's most vocal. But notice what it says. They all forsook him and fled. He was in good company here. All the rest of them, not just Peter, but Peter was the one that had made his brag. Peter was the one that said, oh Lord, I'll stand stronger, I'll stand longer. They may leave you, but I won't. It says they all forsook him and fled. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. I want you to think about it. These are, the, these are not some, you know, uh, fair weather friends. These are his closest companions on this earth. These are who we call apostles. He appointed them apostles. They were his disciples, which means followers. They had seen Jesus pass through the crowds that wanted to hurt him. They had seen Jesus calm the storms that threatened to drown him. They had seen Jesus feed the thousands who had often thronged him. They had seen Jesus transfigured with glory all around him. And yet... They forsook him and fled. And it says in verse 54, And Peter followed him afar off. <laughs> you know, I've always said this, Brother Buddy, there should have been four crosses on that hillside. Peter should have been faithful. There should have been Jesus, two malefactors, and Peter. If Peter had done what he should. Now, I understand he was... I'm not questioning that Jesus went as it was foretold of him. But I'm just telling you, from Peter's standpoint, he ought to have gone with him. Wouldn't have put away one sin. Peter dying would have just been a death. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have saved himself, much less anyone else. But he should have gone with him. And beloved, I want to say to you, we ought to be willing to be crucified with Christ. In fact, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, you know, and, and, and the idea being that we should put to death those things in our lives that are keeping us from Christ. Whatever it is, whether it's something within us or whether it's something around us, we should get rid of it in our lives. But like Peter, too many times we say we will, but we don't. And then notice Peter here in verse 54 again. He was, he was sitting when he should have been standing. Peter followed him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest, and sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. He sat down with the world instead of standing with his friend, warming himself by the coals of the world's fires when he should have been on fire for the Son of God. 
If he had understood, if he had seen like he had been listening like he should have been, he would have been excited. He would have been fired up. He would have been excited about what Jesus was about to do. He would have said, oh, I get it, Lord. You've got to die as a perfect sacrifice. But none of the disciples got that. None of them understood that. If they had, they wouldn't have been despondent. They wouldn't have forsook him and fled. They would have understood what Jesus was doing. But they didn't. And notice what happens. Sometimes to us, when the rubber meets the road, when we're called upon to identify as followers of Christ. Verse 66, And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. Now, here's the point. Here's the time, Peter. This is when you can fulfill your promise. Here it is, Peter. Somebody's recognized you. You can, you can sit there or you can raise your hand and say, yes, it was me. I believe it was the Columbine shootings that occurred so many years ago when the two young men who had very much gotten into the occult and Satan worship and that sort of thing went in that school with, 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 with several weapons and began to just murder, I think it was 19 or 20, maybe more than that, kids in that school. They were, mem- they were schoolmates of them. And it was told that in one of the rooms, the question, one of the killers asked, is anyone here a Christian? And, and a young lady raised her hand and said, I am. And the story doesn't have a... a fairy tale ending they shot her and they killed her just for identifying as a christian now let me just say this for her it had the best fairy tale ending because she didn't have to go through this life and all the struggles and all the problems that were going to face her that face all of us she got to skip all that and go straight home to be with the lord let me ask you this you understand that we are peter right They say, hey, you were with him. Aren't you one of them? Aren't you one of his? Where are we? What do we say? Oh, no, don't look. Wait a minute. I I mean, let's let's don't talk about that. Peter says, I I don't, I know not. You know, he he wasn't ugly about it. He said, "I, I know not. Neither understand I what thou sayest. And by the way, that's where it always begins. You know, very few people stand up and curse and swear and say, you know, I'm not a Christian and add cursing in there. But all the, it always usually starts right here. I, I, don't, I don't understand what you're saying. What? what huh? What? You know? <laughs> and he went out into the porch. And, you know, Peter is like us too, is he not? Aren't there things that occur in our lives that remind us regularly? Isn't God so good to us? He reminds us regularly what we ought to be doing. You know, isn't it, has it ever been your experience that, that perhaps I was contemplating, uh, um, I'd gotten mad about something and I was contemplating a particular response to somebody and about that time, Brother Buddy calls. <laughs> 
he calls, hey, brother, I want to talk the scriptures with you. It's like, well, I don't really want to talk about scriptures right now, brother, buddy. I want to cuss somebody out, okay? You know, I mean, I really don't feel like, you ever been, you ever been there? But the Lord, the Lord will do that. I've, and I've had that happen, not with brother Buddy particularly, but with, I've had that happen where I was prepared. I was upset about something. I was angry about something. The phone rings. I look at it and say, sure as I take that call, I'll feel better. <laughs> I'll get over being mad, and I want to be mad right now. So click, I, I don't take the call. You ever been there? <laughs> I'm afraid that's where Peter was, and I'm afraid that's where we get to sometimes. Peter says, I, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm getting out of here. So he goes out on the porch. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. Now notice here, it gets a little more serious. Peter denied it again. He didn't just say, I, I don't know what you're talking about. He denied it. It says, a little after they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. In other words, there's some identifying marks here. I think you're, you're one of his followers. And so in order to prove to the world that he wasn't, he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. Let me just say to you, beloved, don't start down the path of denying the Lord because you'll end up at this point, where, where when you start trying to distance yourself from the Lord, you know, if you start out trying to be distant from Him in the world's eyes, eventually the world will make you prove it. The world will make you prove it. They'll keep pushing. They're not content to let you. They'll make you prove that you're not one of His. In fact, that happened, by the way, later on under the Roman persecutions. They would bring alleged Christians in before the magistrate and make them curse in the name of Jesus in order to prove they weren't his children. They weren't followers of Christ. With the idea that if you really were, you wouldn't do that. Now, okay, let me stop here and remind you that we are not Calvinists. The Calvinists would say, oh, that's exactly right. If you really were a child of God, you would never act like this. Well, I believe, beloved, Peter really was a child of God, and yet he acted, acted like this. So, <clears throat> Peter, he was sitting down with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, and he ended up cursing and swearing about Jesus. Let, let me, I know we don't have much time, so, so let's, let's go a little far, a little bit farther along here and, and let me leave you with something a little more hopeful that's a pretty bad story in it to this point it's a pretty sad story I mean I don't know what Peter could ever think he could do in the kingdom of God after this but I want you to notice his repentance did you know that it does not matter where you are it does not matter what you've done it does not matter what you're doing. Repentance is available for every single child of God. You say, well, I feel like the prodigal son. I'm down in the pig pen trying to eat the husks. What do I do? You repent. You come. You remember what happened to him? He said he, he uh, came to himself. <laughs> he came to himself. You know what that means? He came to his real self. The real self is that which God has created within us. And he said, you know what? 
I'm getting out of here. Sometimes it means you've got to physically pick up and go. Sometimes it means that you've got to do that spiritually. But notice what happened with Peter. Notice, first of all, the reproof. The reproof. In verse 72. And the second time, the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. Did you know that repentance begins with reproof? Have you ever, <laughs> you ever been reproved by a rooster? <laughs> Peter was reproved by a rooster. I've never been reproved by a rooster, but I've been reproved many, many times by the Word of God. I want you to notice, look with me quickly over in Luke chapter 22 and verse 61. Probably the best description in the Gospels about what happened here. It says, and the, and the, after Peter has cursed and sworn and denied the Lord, it says in verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. He turned and looked upon Peter. And it says, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how that he had said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Now notice what it was that reproved him. It was the Lord through his word. It was the Lord through the word of God. Reproof was actually by the word of God. That is, Jesus had told him what he had to be careful about and what was going to happen to him. And it, that was what reproved him. Beloved, the word of God is our reproof today. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for rebuke, for instruction in righteousness, and that the man of God may be thoroughly instructed, you see, over in 2 Timothy. And you see, reproof led to remembrance. In Matthew's gospel, he puts it this way, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus. But now listen to me. Jesus doesn't speak to us audibly today. So what is it that we're to be reproved by? The remembrance of the Word of God. Well, in order to remember the Word, we must read the Word. <laughs> in order, you know, it says we're to hide it in our hearts. Well, to hide it in our hearts, we've got to hold it in our hands. <laughs> you've got to remember, in order to remember the Word, you have to have read the Word. We need to stay in the Word because that will bring us to the point where we remember these things that Jesus has told us that we ought to be doing. In verse 2072, again, back in Mark 14, uh, Mark chapter 14, we then read about Peter's remorse. Peter's remorse. Verse 72, when he thought thereon, he wept. That word wept literally means to weep abundantly. Matthew puts it this way. He went out and wept bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. Beloved, there have been times in my life where I have wept bitterly by the reproof and the remorse that's brought on by the reproof of remembering what God said to do, and I didn't do it. I wasn't living in that way. But praise God, repentance doesn't end with remorse and bitter weeping. Repentance ends with restoration. You remember that? It says, the Lord and Luke, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Where, where did Peter's restoration begin? I'll tell you where Peter's restoration began. It began before he ever fell. Over in Luke, the 22nd chapter, in the 31st verse, 
The Lord said to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But look at verse 32, how sweet this is. But I have prayed for thee. Before he ever fell, Jesus had prayed for him. Beloved, I believe that applies to us today. Before, he knows our failings. He knows our weaknesses. Before we fall, he's praying for us. He's making intercession for us. He's prepared for our failure, and he is loving us nonetheless. He said, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I have prayed for thee. I'm not going to turn to all these places, but I want you to think about this. In the 16th chapter of Mark, after Jesus is raised from the dead, in the 7th verse there, he tells the women there that came to the tomb, he says, you go tell the disciples and Peter. He pointed out Peter specifically. I believe he knew Peter needed to know that he still loved him. Beloved, you may have been in the place that Peter was. You may be there now, and you may be feeling the remorse of the problems, the sins that you have uh, committed and the problems you have caused. But beloved, let me assure you, Jesus sees you where you are, and he has a word specifically for you in his Bible. He said, you go tell the disciples and Peter. And over in the 21st chapter of John, we do not turn there, but let me tell you, he has an encounter, Peter has an encounter with the Lord. And the Lord asked him three times, Son, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Do you love me? Three times he asked him. I believe one time for each time Peter denied him. He said, do you love me? He told him in Luke, he says, when you're converted, you strengthen the brethren. He tells him in John, you feed my sheep. And let me tell you, beloved, we may find ourselves like Peter, prideful in one moment and faithless in the next, following him afar off, warming, warming ourselves by the coals of the fires of the world when we could be basking in the glow of the morning star. But if you find yourself in that case, there is hope for you just like Peter. He's prayed for you. He's looked upon you. And let me tell you something. I know our time's gone, but let me just share this with you. Oh, dear Peter, I guess that's it for Peter, right? I guess Peter has no more, no more work to do in the kingdom of God. He's messed up too bad. He's messed up too royally to be able to serve the Lord. In his writings, we read about him in the first half of the book of Acts, but he writes two sweet epistles, First and Second Peter. Over in First Peter chapter 1, I want you to listen to what he says in verse 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. He's writing to the strangers scattered through Pontus, Galatia, and all across Asia Minor, who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And he's telling them some things that he's learned, and he's being inspired to speak to them now. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through many-fold temptations. Do you think Peter knows what he's talking about here? Being in heaviness through many-fold temptations? I believe he, he's remembering the, the bitter weeping that he engaged in when, when Jesus looked at him, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Peter knows something now that he didn't know then, but that he learned through the forge of the trials that he endured. 
Through the faithlessness that he experienced in his life, he learned some lessons. Beloved, I don't encourage you to be faithless, but if you are being faithless, learn from it. Learn from it. And go thereby like Peter did. You may think yourself to be worse than Peter. Paul was a murderer. It doesn't get any worse than that. And yet he rose to the heights of being one of the greatest of the apostles. And Peter goes on to tell us about not being redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from our vain conversation received by tradition from our fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. He knew whereof he spoke. Peter understood how bad a sinner he was. And he understood what he needed to be doing. And therefore, in chapter 3, he makes this statement in verse 15. He says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You think Peter was thinking about the three times he was asked whether he stood with Jesus or not. And yet he's, he's denied Jesus thrice. And now he's saying, you need to be prepared for that because the world is going to question you. They're going to challenge you. They're going to, you're going to be tempted to fall, but you need to be ready to give an answer. And in his final admonishment in the second, in second Peter chapter three in verse 17, he leaves us and all that read of him an exhortation. He says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. And what's unwritten there and unspoken is like I did. Don't you know Peter's thinking that as he's writing this? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you don't fall from your own steadfastness like I did. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Oh, Peter, your pride got you. Beloved, your pride will get you too. But if we're ever faithless, may we never fall. May we never fall like Peter. But if we ever find ourselves falling into faithlessness, may we be half as strong as Peter in our restoration. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.